Welcome to the HDFS Careers Podcast, the podcast featuring informal conversations with family science majors about their professional journeys. My name is Erica Jordan. I am super excited to be returning after a long hiatus due to several unexpected personal events and professional responsibilities. Please be aware that this episode was recorded during 2021, so some references to current events or the professional's life might be dated. Regardless, I'm sharing the interview with you because it still contains a wealth of insight and inspiration. Today, I will be sharing my interview with Jessica Morgan. Jessica earned a bachelor's degree in human development and family studies from Kent State University. During this interview, she discusses her experience working as a chief program officer for the Greater Cleveland Food Bank and her professional experiences that led her to that position. As is true for all interviewees on this podcast, Jessica's views are her own as a private citizen and do not reflect the views of her current, former, or future employers. Without further ado, here is her interview. Well, welcome to the podcast, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me, Erica. This is super exciting. I'm super excited to hear from you and learn all about your career trajectory, and I know that students across the country are going to be very interested. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. Sure thing. Okay, so let's get started with how did you first find the field of HDFS? I know that you majored in human development and family studies at Kent State University. So what led you to that major? I did. So this might sound strange, but to me, I I wanted um, to help people. And I also wanted to teach, um, to be like a teacher. And and so I started out... um, in psychology thinking, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a shrink. I'm going to solve everybody's problems. Mm -hmm. And I quickly realized that's not what I wanted to do. So then I changed my major to education. um, And I quickly realized, no, I did not want to be a teacher. So for me, you know, when I I remember going to meet with an advisor um, uh, and and they had suggested to me, well, maybe you should look here. Here's some information about the human development and family studies major, look it over and, and let me know if it sounds interesting to you. So I took it home that night um, and I'll, I won't forget this because I switched my major. I think it was like the end of my sophomore year of college. And um, uh, and I my friends all went out and I was like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this. Like I need to figure out what I'm doing with my life. I need to, I really need to spend some time here. So I did, I read through the course catalog and I read the descriptions of all of the, the courses that you'd have to take um, in order to get uh, your degree. And I really, it, I was really intrigued. So yeah. um, the next day I went and I did, I ended up changing my major. And the good thing is that I had already taken a lot of the prereqs, you know, for psychology and, and teaching. There's lots of similar prereqs as there is for HDFS. So I was, it, it hadn't lost much time or much traction. Um, but it, it really, it really resonated with me because, um, you know, I knew from a young age that I just, I really wanted to be a supportive person to somebody in in whatever I did. I wanted to, to help people. I wanted to have an impact. What that impact was, I wasn't sure yet, but I knew, um, that that's, that's where I was headed. So, um, so, you know, I, I really did lean on KSU's advisory team, uh, to help me, to help me make that decision. You know, I think a lot of times folks feel like they have to make those decisions on their own. Um, but the great thing is, is that colleges and universities have staff that can help talk through some of those things with you. And in my case, it was, it was, um, it was crucial, um, to, to guide me in the right direction. We, um, this is not the first time that I've heard great things about the advisors at KSU. So <laughs> that's great oh, um, that they were able to help guide you and support you as you made that, um, that change. And yes, I remember when I first um, became exposed to HDFS courses, I also remember just sitting there and reading about the topics and thinking, this all sounds so fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so 
tell me about your experience once you switched the major. What was your um, experience like in the courses? And um, were you doing anything else inside the classroom or outside of the classroom, excuse me, on campus or off campus? Were you working? Were you volunteering? Just anything you want to share about your college experience? Sure. So um, I miss college. Can I just start off by saying that? Yes. <laughs> if I knew now what I didn't know back then, man. Um, but uh I, you know, I had a great college experience. I loved Kent State and I did work um, through college. I actually worked at the Kent State Rec Center and it was a wonderful job, tons of flexibility. Um, and, you know, you got to see all your friends all the time because everybody was coming through there. Um, and so, but it helped me because I, it allowed me to have kind of a schedule and I'm a type of person who really, need, I'm very type A. So I really need to have the schedule. I need to know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helps just kind of organize my day. Um, in terms of, of HDFS, I, you know, the psychology building, if I'm recalling Kent State, um, where most of those classes were is huge. Whitehall, where all of the um, education classes were, was huge. I remember walking into the HDFS building on campus and thinking, huh, this building isn't huge. It feels nice. It feels cozy. It feels safe. It feels, you know, intimate. I feel like I'm going to get to know some people. And that could not like, that was, it's spot on. Like my initial reaction was spot on. Um, the college itself and the atmosphere, it felt like a family. I mean, I know that that sounds kind of corny, mm-hmm. but there, at least at Kent State at the time, um, you know, this is this is almost 20 years ago, there, there wasn't a whole lot of people majoring in HDFS. I think it was a newer, um, a newer major at the time, or at least an emerging major at the time. And and the faculty, you know, you had the same faculty for multiple classes. Yeah. And that to me, that was so important because you built relationships. We called our, our faculty members by their first names. Mm-hmm. And and that meant something. Um, it meant something, at least to me, because it, it made me feel comfortable. It made me feel like I could say, hey, Kathy, like, I really need to talk to you about this. Do you, can we set some time up? They were there for you. Um, they challenged you. And, and you know, I don't have anything to compare it to, really, but I don't know if it's like that in all majors. To me, this just felt more intimate um, more focused and, um, like they just, you know, they were there to invest their time in their students. Um, so it was just the, the, the experience and the, the level of support that was within that smaller college, um, was, was just awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Now uh, that does sound like an amazing experience. It sounds like, you know, what a lot of people hope their college experience is like, but you know, yes. as, 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 as we've grown in terms of um, enrollment and kind of shrinking resources, it's not always the case. No. Uh, so that's an amazing um, experience to have. Now, at that time, were you all required to do an internship? For some reason, I don't think so. Um, I, I did an internship. Okay. I, I don't recall if it was required. Um, okay. I think I did it just for the betterment of my resume at the time, knowing that it would be helpful. To have Absolutely. One. So tell me about, um, tell me about the internship you chose. Yeah. So I, you know, I worked at the Kent State Rec Center and for a moment I thought that when I was done with my undergrad, I was going to go back and get my master's in, um, uh, campus recreation. Mm-hmm. And so I did an internship at a wellness firm, a private wellness firm, um, 20 hours a week. And I would go out and I, um, uh, this firm, you know, focused on, 
I think it was a little ahead of its thinking at the time, but focused on, you know, a more holistic approach to wellness. And so, um, I'd go out and do like, uh, community events and fairs and job fairs and stuff. And I have to set the table up and I'd be the person, you know, we did like, um, diabetes screenings and blood pressure screenings and, and a whole host of other things. So I, I did that, um, for one summer, 20 hours a week, it was a paid internship. It was, <laughs> was $3 an hour um, paid internship, but you know what? It was like 120 bucks a week that I didn't have before. So, um, uh, or I'm sorry, 120 bucks every two weeks, I guess I got paid every two weeks. So, uh, um, it was good. I mean, it was nice to, it's funny because, um, I, I remember a couple of people who I, I, were working at that company at the time. And in my current career, I have crossed paths with them a few times. So it, it is, it does, it's, even though it wasn't HDFS related, um, it does kind of apply to what I do now. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in just a, a little while, but, um, but it is, it, does, it certainly behooves folks, even if you don't, aren't required to do an internship um, and no matter what kind of um, profession you're interested in going into, you, sure, you certainly should, it's going to give you valuable experience. Um, real world experience and you're going to network and meet some people, which is never a bad thing. Absolutely. And Hey, $3 an hour is $3 yeah. more per hour than you had before, yeah. <laughs> you know, because so many internships um, are unpaid. So like they you are. said, uh, every little bit helps just like you said. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, okay. So now as you're progressing toward the end of graduation, uh, toward the end of your program, you're progressing towards graduation. What um, do you hope or plan to do right after graduation? And then what do you actually end up doing after graduation? So I, um, I, the, the field of social work was always something I was interested in, but at, you know, at the time I, I wasn't getting my bachelor's in social work. So, so finding something that you could do that's like social work that you don't require a bachelor's of social work in, um, was, was kind of where I was at. So I started to look for, wraparound support specialist jobs. Um, uh, I started to look for, you know, coordinator level jobs at social service agencies. And I ended up applying for, by the way, still in school at the time. I didn't wait until I graduated. I started, I graduated in December. And so I started applying for jobs in October. Mm-hmm. Um, I applied for a ton of jobs, some of which I got interviews for, um, but I ended up um, doing something very similar to what I had what I had thought I would do, which I was a county social service worker. Um, I worked for a county in Northeast Ohio and I ended up doing um, child and elder abuse investigations. Um, it was hard. It was really hard work. I did it for about six and a half years and, and that was a long time. It still is, I think, to, to this day, a long time to do that sort of work. Um, but it really taught me really important skills, you know, so, so when you're in the HDFS major, you're talking a lot about people's basic needs and their environments and, um, and trauma and things that they experience that make them make people and families and households and family dynamics, what, and who they are. Um, and so I, I got to see that firsthand. I mean, I, you know, I, I was able to, to apply a lot of what I was being taught in school um, even if it was theory based, I, I could at least relate it back to, oh yeah, okay, well, that's what this person meant when they said this, because I'm seeing this right now in this household. Mm-hmm. Um, so it did, I mean, it was, it was a, it was a natural progression for me, I think, um, you know, going from HDFS 
and that, that those teachings to a field where I was really actually able to apply it. It was pretty cool. Yes. Um, I agree. That is a long time to do that sort of intensive work. And then it seems like that elder abuse has really only gotten a lot of attention the past few years. So, I mean, you might've been kind of on the forefront of, you know, some of the counties that were really focusing also on elder abuse as well. I would agree with that. I mean, elder abuse is, is something that um, I think for a long time was very kind of taboo and people didn't talk about. And um, because, you know, at, at a lot of the time we, we saw exploitation that was probably in neglect. Those are probably the most two common areas that, that I would investigate a lot of financial exploitation. Yeah. Um, but, but I think now, I think, you know, people are just becoming more and more aware as people age, you know, the different services that they require and need. And I just think that there's more education and awareness about that particular topic now that, that didn't exist, you know, 15, 16 years ago when I started. Yeah, I bet. Okay. So, as you are winding down your time after six and a half years in that role, um, kind of what prompts you to make a, a change and then how do you go about making a switch and what's your next step? It's kind of a very serendipitous story. So bear with me while I tell it because it is one of kind of my favorite personal stories that I tell people. Okay. Um, I, I remember I, I had a young child. Um, at the time, my son was 14 months old. And, um, and I had, you know, I, I was kind of, I was already getting that itch, right. I was already getting that itch to do something different. I wanted to be challenged. I was starting to get fatigued. Um, you know, that social work fatigue that, that we often hear about. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just wasn't sure I knew I wanted to help people, but I also knew that I wanted to have a greater impact than what I was having. Um, and I was, and I was at a client's home at the time. And I had worked with this client multiple times and, and she had a whole host of issues ranging from mental health to her children being, you know, sexually abused to an abusive boyfriend in the home to facing eviction and couldn't keep her house clean. I mean, so many different things were feeding into this one household. And I remember being at her home on like a Tuesday night at 7 PM talking to her and I'm thinking to myself, my gosh, like there's so many systems that have failed her. Um, and, and not because people don't have good intentions. It's just this poor woman needs so much help. Um, I need to do something greater. I need to, I I need to do something above and beyond this. And, and so, um, and I wanted it to relate back to basic needs. Um, this particular family and a number of the families that I had worked with over my six and a half years at that County had a lot of food insecurity issues. And that was really something that spoke to me. Um, because food, the most basic of needs, um, is, is so, it's so prominent and, and there's so much food waste in this country, um, that, you know, it just seems like a natural, easy solution. You know, we've got food, let's feed people. Um, and I just thought, I mean, I remember like buying pizzas for family. So they had food in the home, so I didn't have to remove their kids. I mean, it, it would come down to situations like that at times. So in any event, um, (laughs) <laughs> this is going to sound terrible, but I went to work the next morning and I started to look for new jobs on my work computer. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> which, you know, I'm, I'm certain I'm not the only person that has ever done that. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I, you know, I, I just started looking up nonprofits in, in the greater Cleveland area and, and I stumbled across the food bank, the greater Cleveland food bank. And, um, 
I was like, oh, let me look on their website. And I, and I had found a position titled Director of Agency Services, and it was all about supporting the network of partners that provide food to the community. And I thought, well, I can do that. I'm going to apply for this job. So I applied for the job and I ended up getting a call. Um, I ended up getting an interview and I went through the interview process and ultimately I was offered the job. And, and what was so serendipitous about it was that <clears throat> I was driving home from work. I'll never forget this. I was driving home from work and I got the, that's when I got the call that I had been, um, that they were offering me the job at the food bank. And I looked to my right on the, on the freeway and there's a greater Cleveland food bank truck going out to deliver food, literally driving right next to me. Wow. So it was, yeah, I kind of get goosebumps every time I, I tell that story, but, um, but it, it's, it's true and it's, and it happened. And to me, it was just kind of like, okay, it was like a sign, you know, um, okay, this is, this is what you should be doing. This is what you should, you're supposed to be doing. So, so I've been at the Greater Cleveland Food Bank now for nine and a half years, and I have worked my way up from director of agency services, um, and then uh, moved into the role of vice president of programs and agency services, where essentially I oversaw all of our um, uh, distribution to a network of over a thousand partners across six counties, and was recently promoted to chief programs officer um, just earlier this year. So. Um, and, and all the time I talk about, you know, if I didn't, if I didn't go, go through that HDFS major, if I didn't learn more about, you know, the base, basic needs of families and family dynamics, if I didn't get that job as a social worker where I was in the homes of families who face food insecurity and so many other issues, um, I, I don't know that I would be in the position that I'm in today. Yeah. Um, and so I am incredibly grateful for my experiences and, and, um, and, and, the fact that I've had the opportunity to, to work in this field, because I do feel like it's helped me make decisions on behalf of the people that we serve. Yeah. And make a huge impact. And I, my goodness, it does definitely seem like that was meant to be the fact yes. that you sort of got that inspiration with that one mom went yes. to work the next day. And basically one of the first jobs you stumbled across yeah. <laughs> turned out to be the perfect fit. And then, oh, the truck going. And then the truck, which I realize <laughs> is not normal. It's not typical. And I understand, and I realize that, but, but for me, it was a very serendipitous kind of culmination of events. Hey, you hear those stories um, from time to time and it's, it's awesome. Definitely something to be celebrated. So that is amazing. You know, that you've been um, with the food bank for over nine years now. I want to go back to your original, that director of agency services. Can you give us an idea of what your day-to-day life was like work was like in that role? Um, I know it might have changed now to this point um, because that was a couple of years ago since you ended it, but um, what could someone expect if they were in a similar role to be doing every day? Sure. So um, that role was really focused on, you know, food banking is such a complex um, complex idea. There's lots of different moving pieces and parts, but essentially food banks are warehouses full of food and we distribute them, distribute that food to a network of member agencies or partner agencies um, who sign agreements with the food bank that they're going to distribute that food equitably and to people who are in need um, through a, a number of different food distribution programs. Um, whether it's a food pantry or a hot meal, community meal, or a program focused on children and seniors. Um, there's a whole kind of world of, of food insecurity, food um, hunger relief programming out there. So 
um, in my role specifically, I worked um, with a team. I had a team at the time of um, seven or eight people. And, um, and we worked to support a network of partners who were doing emergency food distribution. So this was food pan, you know, the, the food pantry that's located in the church basement or the community meal that's located at the senior center. Um, so we worked to help support those partners with their distribution efforts. We did site visits, we held meetings, we um, had to facilitate a number of federal and state level contracts as it relates to food distribution. You wouldn't think that it was that complex, but it is quite complex. Yeah. Um, and we also helped to, to, we also worked with them to help build their capacity. So, um, you know, if they needed a refrigerator, they needed a freezer, they needed, you know, grocery bags um, or some shelving to help them expand how they served their community. That was, that was kind of our job. So that, that, that role was very focused on, on that kind of um, support, collaboration, compliance checks, and um, capacity building of our network. Yes. I mean, talking about um, impact and reach, I mean, there's mm -hmm. such broad reach um, that you were able to be involved in and a part of, um, you know, ensuring that they get the food, ensuring that they're distributing it in a fair way and in an effective way. And um, being supportive for them, you know, even helping to expand capacity. That's really neat. I mean, it sounds like you had a lot of different partners. So you were maybe every day you're able to kind of meet with different people, go to different sites. Yeah. Um, you had a lot of variety in their role. Yes, I did. Very cool. Um, okay. So then tell me about that next step when you progress to the vice president of agency programs and services. Yeah. What led to that progression? And then what was your daily work life? So I, I had, at that point in time, I had been at the food bank for about six and a half years or so, and there was a vacancy. Um, so the person who was in that position had left and, um, I had had a number of conversations with our CEO about my interest in wanting to move up and, and challenge myself to do um, more. Um, I had, you know, built a nice rapport with, with our senior leadership team. And, um, and I, you know, I just was ready for the next step in my career. And, and I felt like I had that institutional knowledge. And so, um, so the position was posted, I applied for it, I went through the interview process, and, and I ended up being promoted into that role. And at my role, in it, I was doing the same thing I was doing as overseeing the same work that I was doing, I should say, plus kind of the other half of our hunger relief programming, which is very much focused on children and, um, and community health and nutrition. Um, so that, that then began to fall under my umbrella and I oversaw both areas. Um, so it was, it was a nice next step for me um, to learn more about, you know, all of our programming levels, um, learning how to support a larger team, mm -hmm. um, learning how to budget differently. So, you know, at that point in time, I was managing a $6 million budget uh, with the support of two, two director level staff and subordinate staff. So, um, so I definitely expanded my, my budgeting skills, which I'm not great at admittedly. Um, and, uh, and it just, it was just, it was a nice next progression for me. Um, and it, and it helped set the stage, I think for where I am now. That's great. And so, yes, you were able to provide oversight to your former role, which of course you mm -hmm. understood because you've been mm -hmm. several years and then, um, 
you took on this additional role of overseeing and becoming involved with the children's program. So what is it? Was that direct, that was a direct program right out of the food bank, whereas the other um, role that you were overseeing at that point, again, was the agencies who were distributing the food. Um, but you all also had, I guess, maybe in-house programs for kids? We do. Yeah, that's, um, that's great insight, uh, Erica. We, um, uh, we do some direct programming. We, we still work with community partners on that, but the, you know, the structure of the programming, the funding, the, the setup, the logistics behind it is a little bit different. Um, so it's a great way to look at it. You know, we, we did some internal, uh, we do some internal work, but then we also do work externally. And, um, and I had the best of both worlds. It was yeah. great. Yeah, it sounds like it. Okay. And so now your um, current role, you're a chief programs officer. What does your daily life look like in that role? And oh, also, man. how did you tra- how did you transition into that? Also, I, I want to hear everything. Yeah. So, um, I the uh, we did a restructure. Um, okay. Our organization did a restructure a little bit earlier this year, and um, I had a baby last October, so October of 2019. Thank you. Um, a pandemic baby. A pandemic baby. Although, in my defense, I did not get pregnant during the pandemic. I found out a month and a half afterwards that I was pregnant. Um, or I apologize. I, I when I found out we were pregnant, the pandemic started about a month and a half after. So, not a pandemic wow. baby, but did have a baby during a pandemic. So, yes. there's something to be said about that. Um, However, I, um, uh, I had had some high level conversations with, with my boss, who's the president and, ex- and executive director of the food bank. Um, and, and, you know, we, we talked very high level about just next steps and, and what she was thinking about, you know, the organization and, um, the impact that we can have in the future. We're undergoing a pretty large expansion. And so, you know, also, planning staffing wise to support that expansion project and everything that needs to go into it. So, so she and I had several high, very high level conversations, just kind of like brainstorming conversations Mm -hmm. prior to my maternity leave. And I, at that point in time, I, we were just brainstorming and I didn't, I had no idea that what she was brainstorming would eventually end up in a, in a promotion for me. Excuse me. So um, we uh, soon after I came back, um, from leave, which was just after the first of the year, um, we talked a little bit more and she had shared with me, you know, that this is what she was thinking. She wanted to promote me to a chief programs officer role, which would have been a newly created position. Um, and not only keep the existing departments I was overseeing. So that programming and that agency services department under my umbrella, but also move our outreach efforts, um, under this umbrella, all of our communications and special events, all of our community health and nutrition, and um, all of our advocacy work, which was intriguing for me. So shortly after, you know, she and I talked through some things, we went over job descriptions. She kept me very involved. It was a very inclusive process. Um, there was a couple of others who were affected, um, whether being promoted or moving departments as part of this transition. Um, and it was ultimately, so, you know, they were looped in and then it was ultimately announced in February. And, um, and for me, it's a, it was a great next step in my career. I mean, it, I am, I am so happy to be where I am and I love my job and I love the people I work with. I went from, you know, when I started at the food bank, overseeing a department of seven or eight people, depending on the year. And now I oversee, uh, 72 people, I think fall under my umbrella. So over the course of nine years, you know, there's definitely been some steady 
um, progressing and opportunities, which I'm very grateful for. But I'll tell you what, I learn something new every day and I am challenged every day and I'm tired every day. Yes. <laughs> My brain is tired every day. Um, but you know, I, there, I, I also am a very collaborative person. I'm also a very transparent person. Uh, and so if I'm feeling some certain way, or I think a certain type of thing, I'm going to just come out and say it because who has time to not, and I'm not beating around the bush. So I really have used, learned to use my voice. If I don't understand something, if I'm unfamiliar with, okay, well, who's this person that you're talking about? Educate me. I have only been in my role now for five months. Help me. Um, and I think that those things have helped me to learn faster. Um, and, and I know, I know my limits as well. So if my plate is full, I have to vocalize that. I have to say that, especially having, you know, a nine month old baby at home, there's gotta be this work life. And I have a 10 year old, there's gotta be this and a husband, there's gotta be this work life balance, um, where there's, there's only so many hours in the day. Um, I realized being in a C-suite position, you know, it's not a 40 hour work week. And I accepted that when I accepted the position, but I also just need to know how to manage my day. Um, and that, that's a huge part of it. For example, last night, yesterday, I had a full day, you know, I had probably a hundred emails waiting for me at the end of the day that I hadn't even combed through some of them. I was just copied on. I didn't need to respond, but some of them were time sensitive and I needed to, to get back to folks, but I'm also a mom. And so I, I came home and I fed my family and I got my, you know, one kid off to football and one kid to bed and, and once both were settled, then I opened up my computer and I sat on my couch and I, and I finished my day. Maybe it took me an extra 45 minutes, but, but it allowed me to come to work today with a clear mind. So, um, so I also think a lot of, you know, my transition has been to try and figure out how to manage my day better um, so that I'm not feeling like I have to be on my phone checking my email at all hours. Yeah. Um, which is hard, which is really hard to do, especially, you know, when you're still in, a, in the middle of a global pandemic and, and new job, um, lots of, you know, new programming and new things to try and figure out. Um, so, you know, it's, it has been an interesting few months. I definitely feel like, uh, you know, they've, they've gone by at warp speed. Um, but I, you know, I'm also giving myself some grace that this is a big time role. I'm up for the challenge, but I also have a lot to learn. Absolutely. And I think that you're, um, exactly right. You know, um, why waste time if you don't know something or if you need more information? Yes, absolutely. Come out and say it. None of us know yep. everything. <laughs> so yep. I'm sure that that um, helps you to garner a lot of respect yep. and trust. Um, and then uh, I, I love you how you um, point out how you can structure your day um, so that you can have some sort of balance. Because you're right, if you're trying to do everything all the time, if you're trying to be at home with your kids and spend time with your husband while you're checking email, then you just feel scattered and it feels yeah. like you're accomplishing nothing. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Take the pause for a few hours and then come back to it. Um, and then, you know, you can do some prep um, in the evening before you go in in the morning so that you can be clear headed. Um, and yeah. I think that I, quite frankly, um, just kind of looking at the job market, it seems for, especially for jobs where, you know, you, they're demanding someone with an education. I just, it seems like the market, the um, market of job applicants is going to demand more flexibility like that. Yes, it is. Yeah, yep, that's how sure you retain is. the best. That's how you keep and attract and recruit the retain and retain the best people. 1000%. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, 
with so many different, I, even before you said 71 or 72 people, I was just thinking, oh, that is a lot of programs to have under mm-hmm. her umbrella. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, how do you manage that? How do you balance um, all of those different programs, which honestly, I can't remember all of them right now that you rattled off. <laughs> so, so how do you keep track of all those during the day? And what does your typical day look like in this role? Um, I, so I have five direct reports, each leading one of those different program areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I make sure that, you know, we are in alignment all the time. And if that means we need to meet weekly, if that means we need to meet more often, if you're going to, you just need to pick up the phone and call me, if we, if we just need an impromptu conversation, my goal is to never be surprised by anything. I never want to hear good, bad, ugly, something from somebody else that somebody on my team should have informed me on. Um, so I don't, I don't get surprised. And I think actually, you know, nothing affects me. <laughs> Surprises don't affect me. Um, is, is training from my role as a social service worker, you know, because everything was a crisis every day was you're in crisis mode. Um, in this, in this role, there are urgent things, but it's not always a crisis. So it's learning how to triage that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I just really, I make sure to keep the lines of communication open. I mentioned before, I'm a very transparent person. I also feel like I'm a really approachable person. Um, and so I, I do feel like my staff see that, my team sees that, and they that they appreciate that because it makes them feel more comfortable. They can come to me and talk to me about difficult things, good things, bad things, um, things that require attention immediately. Um, and so I, I, I tried to hit that home. There is no typical day. Okay. There are days where um, I think I'm going to get through my list of stuff and it couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, it just, you know, my list just grows and grows and grows every day, but I do try and triage, you know, what's important. You know, my role is interesting because I report directly to our president CEO and, and we, you know, she sees me as her right-hand man, I think to some extent. Um, and I'm, and I'm, um, honored by that challenge. And so a lot of my days also how to manage up, how do I filter what she needs to know right now versus what needs, what can wait, um, until, you know, our next scheduled check-in our offices yeah. are right next door to each other. Um, and I will go in there and I just have to be confident and comfortable going in there to say, Hey, this is, this is what's happening here. You need to know about this or, Hey, this really great thing happened. And you need to call this person and say, thank you. Um, so it's also managing up, um, which helps me to keep my day sane. Um, just as I don't like surprises, neither does she. And so I always make sure that she is prepared to the best of my ability. Do things slip through the cracks? Of course, I am not perfect. But I do try and make sure that she is kept up to speed and up to date, and especially if she's got an important meeting or something coming up. So a lot of my time is, is spent on that. And then I would say that just in general, um, my job is to think strategically about the programming and the um, the path of the programming that we're on for our organization. Um, so there's a lot of cross collaboration with a number of departments. We do not work in silos here. Um, and so I do, I try and think strategically about, you know, when decisions are made, who do they affect and what needs to happen and from a budget perspective, how is that impacted? And what what goals are people working on? Are they, are, are they accomplishing their goals? Are they meeting those goals? Are there goals that they're not going to meet? And why not? And how do we help? How do I help support them? Um, so it is a lot of that kind of 
higher level, third level thinking, I like to call it, mm-hmm. um, to help guide my team towards success because, you know, they, they're, they're what make this place hum. They're the ones who are, who are, um, you know, out on the, on, you know, quote unquote front lines. I hope that doesn't sound too dramatic, but just like today before this call, <coughs> excuse me, I was at, we're doing a weekly drive-through food distribution still due to the effects of the pandemic. We were serving 1800 people every Thursday at the city of Cleveland municipal lot. And um, I was just there this afternoon. I got back at 2.45 right before we jumped on this call at three. Um, they're out there doing the work and they're working their butts off. And yeah. so, um, you know, it's also, how do I, how do I support them? How do I keep them engaged in this work and motivated and, um, uh, you know, just wanting to come to work every day because our, our, our greatest asset is our people and, um, and they need to, they need to, and this goes back to kind of what you were thinking, you know, they, they need to, they need to feel like they can come to me or any other uh, director level or VP level on, on this team and speak their mind and, and share what, what what's on their chest so that we can help make these programs better for the people that we serve. That is really what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. I was on a, um, I conducted an interview a few weeks ago and um, uh, we were just discussing this idea that you know, to have really, to solve and address really big problems, you know, you need really big teams of people working together. And I feel like um, as you're describing your day, um, you are part of that kind of behind the scenes orchestration uh, that's really ensuring that people ultimately get what they need. And in this case, it's ultimately that hungry people get fed. <laughs> um, but, right. you know, to ensure that that happens and ensure that the, the resources get to the people who need them, um, it's, it's a huge job. Um, and it takes tons of people working together and people behind the scenes organizing. You mentioned that you're a very organized person. And I'm sure that that comes, um, that, that skill and that uh, personality tendency uh, comes in really handy in a role like this where, um, you know, being unorganized and um, not being informed and not thinking strategically can lead to um, loss of uh, the, the food product, you know, yeah. to, can lead to a lack of effectiveness yeah. um, and can more bluntly lead to people not getting the food that they need. Yes. Uh, and so, so it's really spot on. yeah, it's really important. That's fascinating. Um, so really quickly, just for people who are unfamiliar with um, food banks, can you share just quickly about how you obtain the resources, like how you all obtain either the food or the funding um, and how that works? Sure. So there's 200 food banks across the country. We all kind of feed up into this network um, that Feeding America helps to support. <clears throat> and we get our funding and, and, and or food three different ways. We get federal and state commodities from the federal and state government. Um, and and uh, essentially it's, it's surplus products that the government purchases from farmers so that it doesn't go under, so that those farmers don't go under. Um, so that they'll purchase product from, you know, surplus product, and then that flows through all 200 food banks across the country. Um, we get donations, of course, from uh, big box retailers, um, grocers, vendors, um, you know, that we sort and redistribute. And then um, whatever we're not getting from those two sources, we buy and we use private donations to do so. Um, so we fundraise throughout the year um, and then those dollars go to help us purchase food. 
um, that goes out to our, our network of partners and ultimately into the mouths of people that need it. Um, so we, our revenue streams come from a couple of different areas. We, of course, private donations, which I've mentioned, we get reimbursed federally um, and through the state uh, for a couple of the programs that we operate. And then we also have, um, which is which is not typical of food banking, we have a kitchen, um, a production kitchen here. And so we do have a couple of contracts where we are providing meals um, for seniors and for children. Wow. Some of those contracts are through the Ohio Department of Education. Um, others are through um, one of our largest contracts is senior meals through um, uh, the local Western Reserve Area Agency on Aging. Um, and so that is also a revenue stream for us um, because we charge for the senior meals. It's, it's a revenue stream for us. We make a very, very small uh, profit. I mean, I'm talking like incredibly tiny, right, right. Um, but we, we it, actually, what I should say is that we break even. Um, right. It covers you know, the cost. It covers of, our costs. Yes. It covers the cost it, of the staff and the facilities, yeah, food, the, the electricity. <laughs> yeah. Just, just for that one program, you right. know, um, it covers the cost of, of our, what it costs us to distribute that kitchen, you know, that prepared meal. Yeah. So, um, uh, so, you know, that, you know, that's, that's kind of a slimmed down version, but, um, but we are a nonprofit. And so we are, we're not a government entity. We might get some federal and state reimbursements for some of the programs that we offer, but we are not a government organization. We are a, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. Um, and, um, and it's a great place to work. I, I have never met, I've never worked at another nonprofit that has fleet and, and warehouse operations and accounting and, um, uh, programming and data analysis and yeah. fundraising kind of all baked into one, one organization. It's pretty cool. That sounds really cool. And that, um, that level of detail is really interesting. I mean, I don't, I didn't realize that, um, the government basically buys surplus and that that also goes down to food banks. That's really yep. interesting. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So as we start to wrap up, can you share anything that I didn't ask that you think would be helpful to share um, with students or new professionals? And then can you also um, give us any insight or advice that you would offer to students or new professionals looking to potentially go into this field? Sure. So um, I guess, you know, the, the one thing I will add that, has been helpful for me as I've moved along in my career is to network. Um, there are so many opportunities to join young professional groups that, um, you know, associate boards, go to, you know, local fundraisers. Um, you don't, sometimes you could just go and meet people and you don't have to bid on anything or purchase anything. Right. Um, you know, it's just really to get your name out there to, to um, be passionate about what you what you want to do, even if you're not sure what that is, even if you could just say, you know, like for me, I just wanted to help people. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do yet, but I knew that I wanted to help people. And then just through lived, ex you know, work experience, um, narrowing that down. But, but for me, being able to go and network and meet people and understand the who's who and, and have coffee and just understand who else is doing what out there has been an invaluable experience. And there's, and, and for young professional professionals who are currently working at nonprofits or even for-profit organizations, check with your team to see if they offer some sort of professional development that gets you involved with local, you know, leadership courses. Um, I've been through a couple of leadership training programs and paid for by my employer. Um, 
because and and they have been so helpful for me in changing how I think to be more strategic and also just again another opportunity to meet people. So so I would I place a lot of value on just that networking component um, yes. uh, because sometimes it really is who you know um, and and it is critical. And th- these nonprofit bubbles they're small. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times, you know, if you're talking to somebody, they, they know somebody who might be able to help, um, or point you in the right direction or give you career advice. So, so that would be, um, one thing I didn't mention that, that I'd like to mention here. And, and for p- folks who might be interested in, you know, hunger related issues, um, food insecurity, um, there's, there's so much that can be done at a grassroots level. Um, volunteering with your local food pantry or community meal, um, helping an elected official on their campaign, because so much of what we do is also advocacy related. We have a whole advocacy department that, um, that, you know, has grown this network of advocates to help us lobby in support of a number of federal hunger relief programs that, that would, you know, ultimately go up if we didn't have strong advocates out there saying that no people really need SNAP and people really need senior boxes and children really do need to eat during the summer. So, um, so, you know, get involved with, with grassroots efforts to learn more about the local landscape and, um, and, and every, every major metropolitan city across the country. And even those smaller cities have food banks, um, so I mentioned there's 200 food banks across the country. If you go to Feeding America's website, you'll be able to find where they're all located. Go volunteer, learn about how you can get involved. Many of those food banks have young professional boards. They have groups that you can um, connect with. They might have advisory committees where you can offer feedback and suggestions to food bank staff. Um, go make a meal in, in a food bank's kitchen if they have one. Go pack a bag in their repack area. Um, so there, there are a lot of opportunities, both at local food banks, but also just grassroots in the community that you can learn, um, more about hunger and food insecurity because it's so prominent, um, especially now, uh, where people are really struggling trying to get back on their feet, um, as a result of the effects of the pandemic, uh, it's, it's more prominent than I've ever seen. Um, and, and it doesn't discriminate. And so, um, I'm also happy to, to talk to anybody who is, who's interested in this field and wants to learn more about how they can get involved. Oh, that's so generous of you. Um, the, I'm sure that you'll have people who, who reach out to you who hear this. And I think that that is a great, um, great piece of advice to just get involved at the grassroots level because that's going to connect right to your other piece of advice. Um, you're going to end up networking with people first of all, but then also yeah. you're going to learn about, okay, how does this work in my specific area? And it really is, you know, really fascinating. I got to tour um, one of our food banks here in Houston and it was just so incredible. I mean, just the, first of all, the size of the operation. Yeah. The Houston um, food bank is huge. I was there last year before the okay. pandemic hit. It's huge. It's, it's the biggest huge. food bank in the country. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know it was the biggest. Yep. I knew that it's it was the biggest. huge. Yep. Um, uh, but, but yeah, it's, um, it's just so inspiring to, to see the type of work that you do and the type of work that, um, professionals like you are doing across the country. Um, so I, I think that that's great advice and thank you for sharing your wisdom today. Sure. sure. Happy to. It's been great. I hope it helps somebody. I'm sure it will. Thank <laughs> you so much for your time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the HDFS careers podcast. If you have recommendations for HDFS or other family science alumni to interview, please reach out to me at hdfscareers.com. Don't worry if they are not working in a job that would normally be considered in the field. 
I'm interested in hearing a variety of stories, especially if they are working outside of academia. If you like this podcast and want other people to be able to find it, please rate it and review it in iTunes or share it on social media. Until next time, keep exploring your future possibilities.